This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to a very special Father's Day edition of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. I'm thrilled for you to join me along with four spectacular guests as we discuss how their dads have influenced their cooking, their music, and their way of life. If you'd like to hear these interviews in full, dig through our previous episodes for more talk about what being Southern is all about. Kicking us off this week is a conversation I had with fiddle player Janae Fleener, whom you may have seen as a member of the house band on NBC's The Voice, as well as on tour with stars like Blake Shelton, Martina McBride, and Rascal Flatts. As Janae began to learn her instrument as a kid, her dad challenged himself to learn along with her, making for some long-lasting memories. So what did your folks do uh, when you were growing up? My dad was actually retired when, when I was born, and mom retired by the time I was, I think, 10 years old or so. But they worked at the VA in medical records. So dad took care of me when I was really little. He set me in front of um, Sesame Street <laughs> while mom went to work. And basically every weekend, I started playing violin when I was three years old. So every weekend was music involved. We'd go to talent shows and bluegrass festivals, and we always had a camper. So every weekend we were going to all kinds of music stuff, fiddling. I played classical music. I started in classical music, so there was also a lot of traveling for workshops for classical music as well. But uh, yeah, we were always moving. That's what I remember. And it was a lot of fun. I got to spend a lot of time with my parents, and, and I'm really grateful for that. And your parents were both pretty musical, right? Well, <laughs> Mom... She didn't have an ear, although she could read music. She grew up, I think, taking piano lessons, and she could play some chords on the piano, but it didn't really come natural. And I think my dad really had the ear. He started playing violin after I did, and dad was 55 when I was born. So Wow. <laughs> he was, you know, yeah. So he picked up the violin, which is not an easy instrument to pick up. So I'm like five years old learning Faded Love, and he's kind of learning alongside me but he he really sounded pretty good for just picking it up and he could play the guitar some mom would play the piano and dad would play fiddle or guitar and I never really wanted to be that family band kind of thing (laughs) and they were I don't think they did either but it was kind of fun for them to my dad's fiddle playing was pretty rough but um even when I hear some old recordings of fiddle playing it it just brings me to tears because it reminds me of my dad um playing fiddle in the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Janae, this wouldn't be biscuits and jam if we didn't talk about food for a second. And um, you've talked about food and some of the songs that you've written. <laughs> was yeah. that a big part of your childhood? And uh, I mean, was, was your mom a big cook or your dad? Or Food, my favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> if people watch me on Instagram, like, so many times I'm Instagramming what I'm cooking. My dad actually did most of the cooking growing up. So I remember him making, oh my gosh, chicken and dumplings was one of the favorite dishes. And I remember helping him cut the dumplings into little strips and we'd hang them over the sides. That's a great memory for me. And his chili, we would go to these fiddle conventions and stuff. And mom would say all the ladies would come over and go, George, like that chili's so good. (laughs) 
<laughs> Give me that recipe. <laughs> and I do, I have his chili recipe. I'm not sure why I haven't actually made it. I have my own that I've made for years, but I want to frame it because it's it's got stains on it, you know, from the chili, I'm sure, dripping on the paper and stuff. And it's, oh my gosh. And it's in his handwriting, of course. I, so I definitely want to frame that. Grammy nominee and winner of multiple CMA and ACM awards, Ashley McBride joined me last fall and discussed a powerful track inspired by her father, one that's gone on to become one of her most beloved songs. So you had a song called uh, Bible and a 44. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's about your dad. Is that right? It is. It's about my dad. There are some elements in there that were also my grandfather on my mom's side. He was the one that never went anywhere without a fishing pole. And you might be riding back from church. You might be riding to the grocery store. If he saw a fishing hole that he thought looked good, he would stop. He kept his fishing poles in a gun rack. He drove a 1976 bright orange Ford truck. And he would just be like, we got to stop here for a minute. And he'd go sit on that dang guardrail and fish. <laughs> so yeah, there are some elements of my granddad in that song too, but I wrote it about my father. It's a wonderful song. Thank you. Thank you. I think I'm about to re-release it. Um, it. It was on an EP that I did really early on. And I love that producer and I love the band that we worked with. But my original thoughts on that song didn't sound that way. I wouldn't have put strings, I don't think, on that song. So I'd like to find a way to, to make it sound more like when I sang it for my dad which was, you know, on, on his guitar that I wasn't supposed to be touching to begin with. But at, by the time I wrote the song, I was a grown woman. And I was like, I'm, I wrote this song on your guitar and you're going to have to deal with it. Would you mind singing just a little bit of it? I wouldn't mind at all. For those of you playing along at home today, this song's in the key of B flat. <laughs> and I had a guitar just chilling <laughs> on the couch, which is totally normal. I was watching Netflix before our call and I'm always sitting here doodling around. had a southern drawl like a red-bone hound Every song he sang was my favorite sound He'd be the last one off if the ship went down The kind of man who feels good to be around The kind of man who feels good to be around He had hair as white as a cotton field He'd spin you a story like a wagon wheel Never went nowhere without a riding reel Lord, I miss that man and I always will I miss that man and I always will He'd see through a lie Like an old screen door Taught me how to hunt how to love the Lord He carried a Bible at a 44 and They just don't make them like that no more We'll continue with Scott Avett and Jake Owen after the break He said take what you got and do the best you can 
This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking this week with guests about their fathers. Scott Avid of the Avid Brothers chatted with me about the strong ties he has, both physically and emotionally, to the Carolina farm he grew up on. We also discussed working for his dad as a teenager and Scott's own experiences as a father of three. So, Scott, are you on the farm where you grew up? I'm adjacent to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm connected to it. In fact, me and my kids roam the woods that I did as a kid. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of paint a picture for me of the of the farm. Sure. We started with 65 acres. My dad, my dad's philosophy early on, whether whether he had a plan or strategy or not, he thought, well, I'm going to try to acquire some land. Um, that's what I'll do with my money versus putting it back for uh, a more conventional retirement. So he purchased land in like 1980, 1981, 82, when it was really inexpensive. So there were, you know, motorcycles and go-karts and we did a lot of farming growing up. It was all hobby, but it was, it was big hobby farming. That sort of faded late eighties, nineties. And I think that's probably collectively in our County in Cabarrus County. uh, It's right beside Mecklenburg County where Charlotte is. I think as we traveled, as I've grown and traveled so much, I started noticing this value. Then I started seeing this definite monetary value in, why don't I go back and, you know, settle there because I can do it for cheaper than anywhere I've seen. And I also know the lay of the land. I understand it. And I was able to expand the farm uh, really by about 80 acres or so. So we live on that. My brother and my my sister and I all have land connected to it. So do y'all have Pigs, chickens, and goats, and that kind of thing? We have chickens, and I just got word that pigs are, are on the way. <laughs> because apparently the meat processing stuff, there's really a, a, a tragic story playing out right now with the meat processing, and some farmers are really getting put in some bad some bad positions. So, but we always had cows, and we did have pigs as kids, and we've always had chickens. We have a, a big garden. And to me, this is sacred. This is sacred land. I'm very connected to it. Uh, Shamefully so. I mean, it's ridiculous how connected I am to it. And your dad, uh, it, so in addition to having this hobby farm, he was a welder. Is that right? Yeah, that took up most of his time. So we would go down and work at his shop and cut metal and pick up metal scraps and paint uh, equipment that he had built. Here's a, I don't know if you remember anything like this, but I can't count the times I've cleaned my hands and arms in gasoline. <laughs> I mean, it was like painting all day. And then dad would say, here, take this gasoline and clean that off. I was just like, man, what is this? Looking back, I'm like, what, what was I doing? What were we doing? But yeah, he was a welder. 
my dad's main gig was traveling. They were bridge builders. So he traveled most of the time in between bridges or jobs that they were doing, uh, they would build in their shop. So they would build a lot of trailers and they would build what they called wrecking rigs, which um, were, they would swing out underneath a, a bridge so you could work and, and do all the molding or the, the casting for the concrete or whatever. But dad hired me early, 15 years old. In fact, it's funny, Bojangles Coliseum in Charlotte. We play there now. We do multiple nights a lot. And I've seen incredible, I saw Soundgarden there. I mean, it just goes way back. My first job with dad was working over Independence Boulevard in Charlotte on that bridge that was directly like right under the Bojangles Coliseum uh, uh, overhangs. He had me working very young and uh, I think I needed that. I was a little more rebellious with with my dad or at least outwardly so. Seth might have been as well. And I think he needed me to get some uh, some taste of real life. So from 15 to 22 years old, I worked, I worked with him on, on the bridge off and on. So your dad also uh, is a musician and a very talented musician. You guys have performed together. You've made music together. I'm wondering what kind of influence he had on you as a musician early on. You know, early on, we didn't grow up seeing our dad as a musician. I mean, I, he was just our dad. And he had put away the, the dream of being a musician to raise us because I don't think that he could afford to do that and raise the three kids. So that's where welding came in. And that was, that's what he did. He, he was, he was very busy, whatever he did, he was committed to be the best at it. So he was very good at that and, and put a lot of time into it, though. He never identified himself as Jim Avett, the welder. I don't think, you know, only when that needed to be said, he would say a lot. My life is not at work. You know, that's not my life. My life is, is elsewhere and it's, it's home really, but it was not at work. I don't live to work. But he kept the door open. He played guitar around us. I remember uh, music was just a just a it was just there for us. There was a record player. There were a ton of records, mostly old country like uh, like Merle Haggard and Kenny Rogers and uh, John Connolly and Willie Nelson. But then it also went into Bob Dylan and and uh, Neil Young. And it's it's interesting because very early we had this eight track tape player and a carton of eight tracks. And one of my dad's eight track recordings was in there and we listened to that, but there was only like a handful of eight tracks and it was John Denver, my dad's eight track. There was a three dog night, eight track. And I mean, we, it was enough to digest just to sort of romanticize, hear these things and romanticize. Like you listen to Jeremiah was a bullfrog, you know, as a kid, you're like, Whoa, okay. What is this? Like, and then John Denver, I mean, all I needed was that, that record grandma's feather bed. And, and then the sentimental vibe of, of home and I'd find myself tearing up listening to it. So I think my dad just, he just made music available and we, we identified him as someone who was capable of delivering a song, like a songster. So I think that just was a, in a way a vehicle for us to look up to something in a non-musical way, watching our dad's uh, discipline and dedication to travel and being able to do it and maintain a home is really incredible. And that's something we work very hard to do. Well, so Scott, you you know, we've been talking a lot about family and you've focused a lot of your art and your music around the subject of family. You've done some really large scale portraits of your wife and kids, for example. And, and I'm just wondering, how does that uh, go over as, as a dad? <laughs> and a yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the, the expected complaints for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's why, what, dad, why didn't you pay me in that one? I'm like, all right. Or, or why did you, why am I, what, what? 
And I have to tell them all, this, this is not you. This is a painting. This is not you. Uh, but you know, that the family life, this season of life that I'm in family is, is all that you see that it's just in your face, in your face, in your face. And if your eyes are open to it, if my eyes are open to it, I, I see some incredible things. It's just very, uh, very beautiful. So it, it'd be crazy for me not to be uh, affected by it. You know, I, I think it was, it might've been yesterday or the day before you, you posted a beautiful song on Instagram called a father's first spring. Yeah. And there was a lyric in that song that says, I was a child before the day that I met Eleanor, which is your daughter's name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering how has being a father changed you as an artist and a musician? Um, well, that's a really huge, like a, it's a huge blow to the ego, you know, having, having a child, witnessing a child being born, witnessing a partner going through that, witnessing a mother birth a child is such a huge blow to another's ego. And uh, that's a good thing. I think one of the big early blows that are a series of blows that are, are you know, knocking that, that ego, putting that ego in its place. And that has been a real benefit to me it's really hard not to only think about yourself, but having children does a, a damn good job at interrupting that. And uh, I'm grateful for that because I, I know that that's really the goal. Um, Cause I'm leaving the, this, this ego, I know that I'm leaving it behind when I, uh, when I pass away and uh, the more that I can keep my eyes on it and keep it in check I think the better, the better I am to other people and being good to other people is what being a dad is about being good to my brood over here. You know, like that, I got to start there. I always think about wanting to change the world. And I'm like, then I'm being grumpy or something with my family. And I'm going, how can you be, you know, how can you change the world? Scott, if you're not going to, you know, treat your family good. So having kids is a good exercise in good advocacy and, and, and good example. It's such a good opportunity to do that. I love being a dad and I love watching these kids grow. I think they're gonna be great, great men and women. I think that's exciting. Finally this week, we're going back to our very first episode of Biscuits and Jam with Florida native and country music star Jake Owen. He shared a touching story about how his dreams of being a musician ended up fulfilling his dad's sports dreams in a roundabout way. You know, it's, it's funny the way life works out. What I think every father can take away from this is that my dad never saw as a kid how much his life lessons resonated with me as far as hard work ethic, um, morals, values, um, the things that make you into a, like a successful man. And uh, he taught me all of that. And I always stored it away in my back pocket, but I just needed to find the right thing where I could put all those lessons my dad taught me towards. And I did that with music. It's, it's great to be a parent, 
but it's also great to let your kids be kids and find out what they want to do. And my dad now, I think, is able to realize like, holy cow, like Jake is successful because of what I taught him as a kid on how to not so he's not successful as a musician. He's a he's successful in his life and he's made good decisions because of what he's taught me. And I think now that he's able to see that from afar, it really fulfills his life to know that he he was a great father and he didn't do anything wrong, which would have led me to drop out of college or whatever. You know, it was he's able to look at it now from like, holy cow, like I guess I did teach him right. And I, I'm really proud to know that he feels that way. Because my dad was interested in golf and because he and he should have played professionally, really, he's that great. Um, he wanted that for me so bad. I think my dad wanted to one day just walk the fairways of, of Augusta <laughs> National with me while I played in the Masters or whatever, because that was going to be our only way there, you know, to Augusta National. And uh, fast forward, you know, 10 years after I moved to Nashville, I played a radio show for the kind people of Augusta. Um, not the golf course, but the radio station. And the guy there told me, he's like, Hey Jake, I know you're a big golfer. He said, uh, I promise you one day I'm going to get you on Augusta national. And I said, no way. I said, well, listen, if that ever happens, the only way that I'll play is with my dad. And I, he said, and he goes, all right, well, if I can make that happen, I'll let you know. So it was like 2013 or 14. Um, I get a call. It was December 22nd. And uh, my buddy said, hey, uh, go ahead and get your bags packed and meet me tomorrow over here in Augusta because we're going to have we're going to play around a golf in Augusta. You think you can get your dad up here? And so I called my dad. I said he answered the phone and I said, said, well, you need to go ahead and head home and pack your bags and get your golf clubs because we're playing Augusta National tomorrow. And he's like, you're kidding me. And I said, nope. And so he went home, packed his bags, got on a plane, flew to Atlanta, drove up and met me in Augusta the next day. And the two of us played Augusta National together. And I watched my dad tear up walking down the first fairway. And um, man, it's like, it's kind of wild to think about that because he, the one thing, which was golf, that you would have thought would have brought my dad and I together to Augusta is, is not at all what happened. The one thing that my dad could have never taught me how to do that I chased because I believed in it, which was music is what brought my dad and I to Augusta. And, uh, I can't tell that story enough because I think it's really important for kids out there to know that always respect your parents always listen to them and what they say, but have a, have a confidence to what you believe in as a kid too, because if you have a dream, like anything is possible, not just fulfilling your dreams, but man, quite frankly, I fulfilled my dad's dream of playing Augusta national by, by chasing a dream that I wanted to fulfill. And I think sometimes people don't realize that you can fulfill a lot of people's dreams outside of your own by just being confident and and chasing something you believe in. And uh, I know that's kind of, you know, pretty heady and deep to think that way, but I'm pretty much living proof of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, really proud of my parents and my family. Thanks for listening to our tribute to fathers this week on Biscuits and Jam. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and this podcast was produced and edited in Nashville, Tennessee. 
If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about the program. You can find us online at southernliving.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Danielle Roth, Erica Wong, Jim Hankey, Matt Sav, and Rachel King at Pod People. We'll see you back here next week for more Biscuits and Jam. Biscuits and Jam.